Entrepreneur Shares was one of the first thematic investment strategies, and we were the very first in entrepreneurship, innovation, and disruption. We have over 30 years of academic research that we developed at Babson College, the number one school in entrepreneurship. And from this, we developed a proprietary entrepreneur factor, which demonstrates how investors can outperform peer benchmarks over time. Our model works best during declining interest rate environments such as now, and we have two ETFs investors can follow. One is ENTR, which is U.S. large caps, and one ETF is ERSX, which focuses on non-U.S. small caps. ETF Prime is hosted by Nate Geracine, president of investment advisory firm, the ETF Store. This program is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Investing in ETFs involves risk, including potential loss of principal. Any past performance figures discussed are not necessarily indicative of future results. Some guests appearing on this program may also be financial sponsors of ETF Prime. The ETF Store is not affiliated with Vetify or any of its affiliates. Vetify's participation in this program should not be construed as an endorsement or indication by Vetify of the value of any ETF Store product or service. Visit ETFstore.com for more information. Now it's time for ETF Prime, where we discuss everything you need to know about exchange-traded funds and the world of investing. Whether you're an investing expert or just starting out, Nate will help you get up to date with what's happening on Wall Street and show you how exchange-traded funds can help lower your investment costs, reduce your tax bill, and allow you to take advantage of investment opportunities around the world. And now, the host of ETF Prime, Nate Geraci. All right. Joining me will be Bruno Caratori, co-founder and COO at Hashdex, who, of course, is one of the 11 entrants into the spot Bitcoin ETF race, which looks like it is finally, I said finally, getting the starting gun after 10 plus years since the first spot Bitcoin ETF filing by the uh, Winklevoss twins back in July of 2013. It looks like this is finally coming to fruition. And so you're going to get to hear firsthand from one of the competitors in this race. And I think this will be interesting because Hashdex is what I would call a crypto native competitor. They're not one of the traditional asset management firms in this race. And I think that could play into the competitive dynamics once these products are out on the market. We'll see. But uh, not only that, if you look under the hood of the Hashdex Bitcoin ETF. The ticker symbol on that, by the way, is DeFi. Great ticker. Uh, that will be a bit different than the other products. And so I'll have Bruno uh, walk us through that ETF. We'll also discuss the overall significance of spot Bitcoin ETFs finally coming to the U.S. market. And then we'll get into the investment case for Bitcoin itself, which I feel it's been lost in the shuffle a bit with all of the hype surrounding the ETFs. But at the end of the day, the question is, should investors even consider owning Bitcoin to begin with, right? Is there really even a good investment thesis to add spot Bitcoin ETFs to a portfolio? So uh, we'll talk about that as well. Also joining me this week will be Moritz Pott, founder and CEO of Tema ETFs, who in May of last year, they launched a pretty unique ETF platform that focuses on actively managed ETFs, primarily thematic ETFs. They call these institutional-grade thematic ETFs. 
And so far, they've launched six products, with the most recent launch being in uh, November. That was the Tema Cardiovascular and Metabolic ETF, ticker HARTS, H-R-T-S. They also have ETFs focused on uh, luxury, oncology, American reshoring. There are some others. And so we'll discuss that platform. We'll take a quick look at several of those ETFs. And then I want to get uh, Mart's take on using thematic ETFs in a portfolio, like, like essentially how investors should think about incorporating these. Now, to uh, start this week, you're not going to be surprised at all. I'm going right back to the spot Bitcoin ETF topic. Uh, you know, I have to start there. And I now have on the line with me Roxana Islam, head of uh, sector and industry research at Vetify. So let's chat with Roxana now. Now we're joined by the experts at Vetify, a new data analytics and thought leadership company that is transforming financial services from an industry to a community, one relationship at a time. An area that I've been talking a lot about is Bitcoin versus gold. So right now in the environment that we're in, um, a lot of investors are concerned over those rising rates. Roxana, thank you for uh, joining me this week. Yes, it's, it's always good to be here, Nate. So it looks like this is finally the week for a spot Bitcoin ETF approval. And it's funny, I was trying to decide who might be more excited about that. Uh, listeners, because they won't have to hear me talk about this anymore, or the Vetify team. Because I feel like uh, you and Dave and uh, Todd and Laura, really the entire team, I have to believe you all are tired of me suggesting this as a, a topic. Though my sense is you're probably the least fatigued of uh, anybody on the team. But how are you feeling about this entire thing? Yeah, it's it's really weird to think that this might be coming to a close finally because it's, it's been going on for so long. And, you know, I have mixed feelings because, like everyone else, I cover a lot of areas. And I, I feel like crypto ETFs and lately the spot Bitcoin ETF, that's just been a majority of what I've been doing and looking at. So it would be nice to spend some time in some other areas. But, you know, like I said, it, it just feels like I can't believe it's coming to a close. It's almost like... What will we talk about now? I mean, I know there's still a lot happening in the ETF world for sure, but it's just always been so fun to just come back to this topic week after week. Um, there's just been so much going on in it, and so much of it has been new and unprecedented. So it's just been really exciting every step of the way. I couldn't have said it better myself. It's funny. I keep getting people um, basically asking me, like, what are you going to talk about on your podcast once this is over? Or what are you going to tweet about? Uh, and I don't know that I have a great answer for them. So I'm going to have to uh, get back into the, uh, the the ETF, you know, foundational topics, uh, which I enjoy. But this has been fun covering. So, look, let's do this. Let me briefly set the table here with where everything stands. And then there are several specific topics I want to get into. Um, we currently have 11 ETF issuers still alive in this race, or at least ones who could potentially launch soon. Now, the final registration statements were submitted to the SEC this morning, and that was after some back and forth yesterday. And best I can tell, it sounds like the SEC will uh, vote on approval tomorrow, which is Wednesday, that's done by the SEC's Division of Trading and Markets on the 19B4s, which those are the exchange rule changes to uh, allow these products to list and trade on the uh, exchanges. And then by the SEC's Division of Corporate Finance on the S1s, which are the registration statements. Uh, I, I, I guess first, I mean, I, I'm assuming you are expecting these 
to be approved? Yeah, I mean, I, I was already in the camp that they were going to be approved a while back. I mean, once Grayscale won its lawsuit, I think that was basically the deciding factor for me. And then we had the Ether Futures ETF launch, and that, that sort of just confirmed it. And then, I mean, we also know the SEC, they've been in talks, in communication with these issuers um, over the past few weeks, few months. Um, and a lot of that has been over the holidays. So it just doesn't seem logical that they would put all these time and resources and efforts into into this if they weren't planning on approving these products. And if, if you really look at um, some of the communications and some of the comments that they've, they've put out in these filings, it's not just the timing, it's, it's the speed in which they're commenting and corresponding. It seems to me that they're trying to get everything um, approved and squared away by the 10. I, I agree. I mean, at this point, with all of the back-and-forth communication between the SEC and issuers, to uh, now deny, and, and really I would say even delay at this point, I think would be a, uh, a huge surprise. Um, and, and by the way, I should note, I, I was mentioning the SEC commissioners or, or the SEC voting. My understanding is that the SEC commissioners aren't actually voting on this. It's actually the SEC staff that is under delegated authority from the commissioners, um, so I, I just want to make that note that SEC staff, again, the Division of Trading and Markets will approve the 19B4s and then the uh, Division of Corporate Finance on the S1s. Uh, Roxana, let's talk about some of the competitive dynamics here, uh, assuming we get approval. And, and let me run through the 11 filers here just real quick, if, if you'll bear with me. So we have uh, Grayscale, ARC-21 shares iShares, Bitwise, VanEck, Wisdom Tree, Invesco Galaxy, uh, Fidelity, Valkyrie, um, Hashdex, who I'll, I'll be visiting with here shortly, and then Franklin. Assuming these are approved, I, I'm curious how you think things might play out here. And, and, and first, let's just start with demand. What, what type of initial demand are you expecting from these ETFs? Um, I think we'll we'll see a, a healthy amount of demand. I wouldn't be surprised if there's some sort of record or a record being broken. So, I mean, you you have demand from institutional clients who they are restricted to trading only securities. You have demand from these new retail clients who want the the simplicity and safety of holding Bitcoin in their brokerage account. And then you maybe have some cannibalization from the Bitcoin futures ETF, and then also some short term volume from investors who just want to capture that rally. So. You know, without any fancy forecast, um, you know, I think we'll see at least a billion of inflows in, in a couple of days. And that's probably a little conservative because I think that's, that's about how much uh, a, a GLD had in its first couple of days. And, and Bitto hit that amount within the first few days as well, first day as well, I think. So I would be really surprised if it didn't hit about a billion in inflows in the first day or two. Did you see the uh, rumor floating around that BlackRock has something like $2 billion lined up to put into the iShares Bitcoin ETF pretty quickly? I thought that was interesting. And, you, you know, really, I, I think I've seen Bitwise a seeding with uh, $200 million. Uh, Van Eck, I believe I saw yesterday, something like $75 million. We know that ARK was previously invested in GBTC. They divested that. They put, something, I think, like half of that into uh, Bitto. But I, I think it's reasonable to assume that they'll ultimately replace that GBTC holding in full with their own ETF. I think that bring your own assets dynamic could be pretty interesting. Any thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that will be very interesting when looking at the demand. I mean, like I said, I think a billion is, is pretty conservative. I think it'll 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 probably be a, a little bit higher than that, um, considering you know all the different issuers in the game, especially the ones that you mentioned, like like BlackRock and, and Arc Twenty One shares, um, just players that have really been. Um, not only involved in the in the ETF world, but also the players that have been involved um, in the crypto world. So you sort of have like the best of two worlds coming together here, and, and so you're going to have a lot of um, interesting dynamics going on between the players and where where we'll see demand go. Yeah, and let's talk more about that in, in terms of competition. Let's assume that Grayscale's GBTC does uplist on the same day everyone else launches, which. I think that's what's going to happen. I, I think there are still some people who think that that may not, and, and I can understand where they're coming from on that. But I, everything that I'm seeing, I have to assume GBTC is going to uplist on the same day everybody else launches. And you can feel free to comment on that if you'd like. But handicap the race for us. Like, who do you think might have the most early success? Yeah, I think um, fees fees are definitely important, um, and, and we've seen this in the, the Ether Futures launch, too. So I think um, the guys with the lowest fees, um, so, you know, I'm looking at someone like Bitwise or ARC21 shares or iShares. Um, these guys will have probably a bigger advantage, especially right out the gate. Um, you know, out of those three, I don't know, I'm kind of leaning more towards Bitwise and ARC21, so sort of, um, you know, taking, like, I guess – you could call it like an underdog because a lot of people are looking at iShares right now. So, you know, I feel like the crypto ETF world isn't exactly the same as the ETF world. So if you look at like the, the crypto equity ETF space, like the thematic blockchain and crypto industry ETF, um, the big guys like iShares and Fidelity have products there, but they aren't really the market leaders within that space. But, you know, that could also have to do with inception date. So if we're, we assume that everyone gets approved at the same time, um, which I think most of us believe has been happened. And um, it's possible there's not even really going to be one clear winner, like with the Bitcoin futures ETFs and Bitto. Um, there's probably going to be a few that grab a considerable amount of assets. So I think it's just it's going to be a race among the ones with the lowest fees. Yeah, I think fees clearly are going to be extremely important here. And I, I actually have the list of uh, everyone's fees here. This is a lot of data, but I, I think it's important. So let me go through this very quickly. Um, Bitwise is the lowest cost provider at 24 basis points. ARC21 shares is at 25 basis points. Vanek is at 25 basis points. Uh, Franklin is at 29 basis points. iShares is at 30. Uh, Fidelity at 39. And then let's see, uh, Wisdom Tree at 50 basis points. Valkyrie at uh, 80 basis points. Hashtex at 90. And then Grayscale uh, at 1.5%. Um, did, did that surprise you at all? Grayscale, you know, that, that trust was at 2% and it has something like $27 billion in assets. I, I was a little surprised by that. I'm, I, I, I wouldn't have been surprised if they were on the higher end compared to everybody else, but I was surprised they were at 1.5%. What did you think of that? Yeah, I mean, I thought that was – it was pretty surprising, but I guess um, given that they're a conversion, you know, they're, they sort of don't have uh, – the need to have as much competitive edge as some of these other products um, might need. You know, I think this is something that we sort of expected um, when we were, um, you know, first looking at these products. You know, we knew that these were all going to be identical, basically identical products, right, launching at the same time. So these fees would have to be 
competitive. Um, so especially for these these newer launches, I think that that's a that's that's just a huge uh, deal breaker. So you know, when when I was looking at these, I was a little surprised with the fee waivers. Honestly, um, I didn't really expect those. But, you know, there's some some really um, low and interesting fee waivers there. Um, but you know, looking at the overall fees, I, I'm not you know, completely surprised with, with what we have here. Um, I was sort of looking at the physically backed gold ETFs as sort of a gauge, and I know GLD has a, a 40 basis point uh, fee, and then IAU has a 25 basis point fee. So I was thinking between that range, like 25 to 40 basis points, and, and that's actually sort of what we see here on the lower end. I know we have a, a couple that are on the, the higher end, but that, that's, that's essentially what we're seeing here. So, I mean, I'm not, I'm not completely surprised with how this played out. Yeah, I, I I agree with that. I, I actually said this yesterday. Um, I I still think it's pretty mind-boggling that these ETFs are debuting in the same fee range as physical gold ETFs, just because those physical gold ETFs have been on the market for, what, 20 years now and been competing with each other. I, I think it's just it's pretty amazing and a huge win for investors that spot Bitcoin ETFs are rolling out around the same you know neighborhood in in terms of fees uh again i just think that's a win for investor investors you mentioned the fee waivers so for listeners just to give an example here uh like arc 21 shares they are waiving the fee that 25 basis point fee all together for the first six months uh or one billion in assets uh i shares for six months uh, or five billion uh bitwise for six months and, and one billion, and then Invesco Galaxy uh, six months and, and five billion. You know, it's pretty good. I think with fee waivers, it's a nice perk. Um, I think historically in the ETF space, I don't know how big of a demand driver that is. I'm not sure most investors are going to make decisions based on those initial fee waivers. I think they'll look at the longer term expense ratio. But again, it is a it is a nice perk here. Um, I, I guess looking at other competitive factors here, Roxana, is there anything in particular you would point to? I mean, will, will marketing make a difference here? What about platform access? You know, wirehouses gating uh, access to to spot Bitcoin ETFs, things like that. Are, are, are there anything or is there anything else that you think will make a big difference in this race? Yeah, I think we can't really underestimate the power of, of marketing and, and name recognition. Um, so with these spot Bitcoin ETFs, we talk a lot about this new retail in- investor that's sort of um, nervous to get into Bitcoin, but now they see that if there's an ETF that they could buy in their brokerage account, that they'll go into it. So, you know, maybe someone like that, um, someone who's, who's more into the retail world and not in the crypto world, uh, may not have heard of someone like Bitwise. Um, but, you know, they've heard of iShares. So, if you're a little bit nervous about crypto, uh, maybe you might think it's safer to use one of these big guys with scale and liquidity. So, um, you know, I think that could could also be a huge deciding factor, especially when you're looking at um, some of these retail investors out there. Yeah, I think that's a good one to point to. And it's actually something I'm going to talk a little bit about with uh, with Bruno from Hashdex because and you and I may have talked about this before, but what I call crypto street cred in that, I agree with you. I think given this is an emerging asset class in Bitcoin, and you think about your quote-unquote boomer investors, they may feel much more comfortable investing in an emerging uh, asset class with well-known brands and, and asset management, like your BlackRocks and, and Fidelity. So I, I completely agree with that. On the other hand, I can see a scenario where if, let's say, you have advisors with model portfolios 
that are already loaded up with a bunch of iShares and Vanguard ETFs in the core of the portfolio on their you know equity and bond allocations. That maybe there's some cachet to having a crypto native fund provider, um, you know, behind the Bitcoin ETF. That that perception wise, that will you know look like the advisor is on top of crypto by investing with a Bitwise or, or Hashdex or, or even a, a Grayscale. So we'll see. I, I think I'm more in your camp in that. Obviously, those big brand names in, in asset management um, will, will likely have more success. But I do think there's an, a, a niche to be carved out here by the crypto native fund players. And the other aspect here, which I, I have talked about before, but I think is important to reiterate, is that I, I think as somebody like Bitwise, you know, all that firm does is eat, sleep and breathe crypto. They, they do it 24-7. And so if you're an advisor and you want research on Bitcoin and crypto and want to understand all the underlying dynamics in terms of what's going on in the market so you can then educate your clients, I would think that Bitwise would be in a better position to do that than some of these other firms. I, I, I could be wrong. That's just my my take, right? That's an example of a firm who's been doing this for a while, and, and that's all they do. They specialize in it. And so maybe that could be you know, part of the calculus here, too. I don't know if you have any quick comments on that. Yeah, I mean, I think it could it could play out both ways. Um, you know, like I said, just because we're sort of expecting all of these to come out, um, launch at the same time, um, you know, I don't think there, there might not even be one clear winner. Um, you know, we might have several of these that have a similar amount of assets just because, you know, there's people in both camps. There's people who, who want, you know, the, those native crypto players. And then there's people who are newer to um, – Bitcoin and, and they maybe want like a BlackRock or a Fidelity. So, you know, I think you could go both ways and, and maybe there's space in, in the market to have, you know, multiple uh, leaders in, in this in this space. Well, I think what we do know is it is going to be a wild uh, week, maybe next month to say the least. Uh, as I mentioned at the top, it's uh, a week that has been, what, 10 plus years in the making. So I, I can't wait for this. I hope you enjoy all of the uh, fireworks here and uh, i'm sure we'll have a few unexpected twists and turns but uh, thank you for joining me this week roxana yeah thank you that was roxana islam head of sector and industry research at vetify now joined by Bruno Caratori, co-founder and COO at Hashdex, who's a leader in crypto asset management, and they are one of the 11 entrants into the uh, spot Bitcoin ETF race that looks like it's about ready to get started. Uh, Bruno's now on the line with me from New York. Bruno, welcome to the uh, podcast. Thank you so much, Nate. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. I have got to ask you, what have the uh, past several weeks been like for you and the uh, the team? Did you even celebrate the holiday season, or was it like all a blur? <laughs> the US, we, in fact, we did. I think our team did find space to celebrate, but you were right in that we were working through nights and weekends for the last several weeks, including the holiday time. So I'll tell you, 
uh, on one level, it's been quite hectic, but uh, overall, I think it's been incredibly rewarding. And I, I speak on behalf of our entire team at Hashtags because, you know, I think the developments of the last several weeks and months are, are a testament to what we have all been believing in and working for in the last several years, right? And, and when you think about just where we were a year ago, when the whole industry was was suffering this immense confidence crisis, the fact that we are here now, uh, and as it looks like we're having major development in the world's in the most important capital market, it's you know it's it's really a reward for all of us. All right, so we will talk uh, more about the spot Bitcoin ETF race here in a moment. But I thought for people unfamiliar with hashtags. Uh, you do have several ETFs in, in, in other countries, including the largest spot Bitcoin ETF in Latin America. That was launched back yeah. in uh, 2021. Do, do you want to tell us just a little bit more about Hashdex? Absolutely. Nate. So, for, yeah, for folks who are not so familiar with us, we're an asset manager and we're completely focused on crypto, Nate. We've been, uh, we were founded almost six years ago now, in fact, almost six years ago. And, you know, in the last six years, we've, we've happened to develop a, a very, you know, diversified product offering across a number of countries. So we were, our genesis had a global ambition in mind. Our products are now either listed or, or available to invest investors in over, in, in seven or eight countries. I can't recall now. Eight. Um, and this is across Latin America, North America, Europe. We we have products spanning, you know, just active alpha generating strategies with a, a hint of uh, thesis driven systematic strategies. Uh, but of course, a big part of our business are the passive index tracking products. And you mentioned one, our Bitcoin product listed in the Brazilian Stock Exchange, which is the largest in Latin America. Uh, we also have another product that, that's the largest crypto product, uh, listed crypto product globally, the Hash 11, and that one follows the NCI, the NASA Crypto Index. And this is it in six years, Nate. Like we're, we have over 200,000 customers globally. At the height of the market, our AUM had, you know, was north of a billion dollars. It's currently at, something around $6 million, uh, but that's the intro. Bruno, you mentioned being completely focused on crypto. Mm -hmm. And as you know, when it comes to the U.S. spot Bitcoin ETF competition, we do now have some of the largest players in asset management involved, and including actually the largest player. And yeah. if I'm being frank, not all of them have the same level of, of crypto experience is hashtags, right? Given what you just walked through. And, and so I'd love to have you articulate what you view as the benefits of having that experience and, and how it might help you in running a Bitcoin ETF and perhaps finding an audience among investors. Absolutely. Nate. So the way we think about this, and we honestly have thought about this since before even founding hashtags, and it, it stands true to this day, is that, you know, crypto as a novel asset class, as a novel technology, uh, there's a, a, 
a tremendous amount of challenge in having investors and advisors out there understand what they would be investing in and why they they should get exposure to this. And this is a core piece of convincing anyone to get exposure to crypto, right? Uh, so we see ourselves a lot as evangelizers of the technology and the asset class. And I and because we've been working on this for six years, we see hashtags as way better positioned to be the player or a player who can help investors navigate this new asset class. Because it's only when the investor or the advisor understands what they would be investing uh, for that they're able to make the right choices on whether they should invest or not, how should I calibrate my position, what part of my portfolio does this take a role on. And this may differ, you know, uh, depending on the investor and the advisor type. So I guess it is true that incumbents are are now, you know, taking a position in the market. We we not only always saw that coming, we really welcome this. In fact, we think it's such a a an important milestone for for the industry in general, right? When you when you think about what some of these these personalities out there were saying only a few years ago, uh, you can't help but celebrate the fact that they're now uh, taking a stance in the industry and launching products. Uh, but we think, I'll say this, you know, the, what's happening right now in the U.S., uh, you know, as it looks like uh, the, the U.S. public will be getting a spot Bitcoin product in the near future. Uh, it is a big milestone for, for the industry, for the investors. But we also see you know, crypto as an asset class that will be transforming uh, the investing ecosystem for years and decades to come. And players like hashtags that put a tremendous amount of energy into supporting investors as they understand the asset class, as they understand the technology, and supporting investors in making the right investment choices uh, will have a decisive role for years to come. So that's why we stand by this this exclusive focus, and we look forward to what's going to happen, not just in the next few weeks, the next couple months, but also in the next several years, Nate. All right, so let's talk about the ETF, which is uh, certainly of most interest to, uh, to to listeners, which is the Hashtag Bitcoin ETF, ticker DeFi. And uh, I, I should note, this is a strategy change, so... Uh, th- this currently does hold uh, Bitcoin futures. The idea here is it's going to be able to own spot. I don't know um, how much you're able to talk about, Bruno, just because this is still a live filing with the SEC. But uh, look, this will be a little bit different from the other prospective spot Bitcoin ETFs. What, what can you tell us about those differences and, and why you think they could be beneficial? Absolutely. So you're right. You know, At this moment, uh, I'm a little bit limited in how much I can... I can uh, speak about uh, this product and what we're we're intending to do with it. Uh, But I'll start by saying that DeFi is a product that's already listed and available to investors. And unlike, uh, and at the moment, it is a Bitcoin futures ETS, 
But unlike other Bitcoin futures ETFs out there, which I, I would imagine uh, your audience is familiar with, uh, DeFi can be converted to hold spot, okay? So that's the sort of the special place that DeFi has. And as you alluded to, Nate, we do have a, a, a horse in this race. You know, we have, we, we, we seriously believe that crypto is a lot larger than Bitcoin, that the, the crypto ecosystem will be unfolding for the next several years. But Bitcoin uh, is, of course, a huge part of crypto now. And we expect it to always be a meaningful part. So we did take a very, I'll say, original stance uh, in this race, uh, you know, and just referring to what's, what's public out there. DeFi is a product that is seeking to, to convert, uh, to hold spot, but in a using paths and mechanisms that are, that are markedly different from what other, what other issuers uh, are planning to do in that DeFi, our stance has been that investor protection is maximized when you lean on futures markets, when you lean on regulated exchanges for some aspects of the product. And that's how our, our, our proposed filing is different. Uh, but ultimately, what we intend for DeFi to become is a spot ETF, a spot ETF with uh, with uh, you know a little bit of different ingredients that we see in our view uh, are what maximizes investor protection at this moment. Bruno, when you look at the overall um, competitive dynamics in the spot Bitcoin ETF category, and obviously you, you just hit on some high level points on how DeFi might be a bit differentiated, but. What do you think is going to be most important in terms of competition? Like, if I look at fees that have been disclosed thus far among all of the uh, the entrants, some are extremely low. And if I look at DeFi, you are currently on the higher end of, of that uh, spectrum. Now, you know, fees aren't the end-all, be-all. And uh, feel free to comment on that. I mean, what, how, how do you see this playing out when you look at the competitive landscape? So I'll, I'll comment generally on this, Nate. You, the, you know, the aspect about fees, uh, I think, touches part of what I, uh, I'm required not to comment about now, specifically on DeFi. But what I, what I can say, you know, on behalf of hashtags, is you no. Know, yes, you know, fees do play a role uh, in in investing in general, right? Uh, and I, you know, attachment to this, I think, is this is one of the reasons why passive investing has become so successful in the last uh, several years, in the last few decades. Uh, they do play a role. It is not the only thing that plays a role. And the, the importance of fees gets attenuated uh, by a good amount as, as, the, you know, give, as other aspects of a product uh, rise in importance. And in an in a asset such as Bitcoin that such a, has such a volatile uh, price pattern at the moment, the importance of fees is a little lower. But you know, in the short term, Nate, in the short term, what we see will play uh, a big role is you know the quality of the the products for investors in general. And in passive investing, that's greatly greatly dictated by the size of the product, how how liquid the product is. 
it's greatly dictated by the ease with which everybody, every player in the ecosystem can interact with the product. So, you know, the, and investors, uh, they often don't realize this, but investors are behind a, a complicated value chain of authorized participants, market makers, custodians. Uh, so a number of players out there that have to interact with an ETF uh, in general, and let you know when you think about crypto, that has its own you know secrecies. So all of this we see as being a a, a big factor in the short term success of products out there. Uh, and in the long term, Nate, you know we also see that this this the current uh, products that it looks like again we can't say for sure that it looks like will be. Uh, will be approved by by the commission. They will be one piece of a a much broader, much more diverse product suit in crypto. And as issuers out there position themselves as crypto, uh, you know, either as crypto players or or you know take a stance in the crypto markets, we think that this Bitcoin product will have its, its, its chances of success greatly affected by the overall offering of issuers. Uh, so we see this as a, as a long uh, game, as a long race, uh, which in a way takes a little bit of the, the weight, I think, you know, from everybody's shoulders on this specific launch. It, sort of on that note, and you uh, alluded to this a, a bit earlier, but bigger picture what what do you think is the significance of a spot bitcoin etf coming to the us market like like put some context around this for us absolutely Nate. so it, it, again i keep coming back to this we think bitcoin is an important piece but just one piece of this you know entire journey of you know crypto as a technology crypto as an investing asset class uh, but undeniably it's it's a huge milestone made and we at hashtags we think that you know even beyond the fact that investors will now have prompt access to an actual etf of spot bitcoin uh and that in its own can mean a, a great amount for uh you know price appreciation or price volatility uh what's behind what's happening now is the fact that the SEC, again, only if this happens, right? But the SEC, which is arguably the world's, you know, the world's most important watchdog uh, in the investing scene, is yet putting another big stamp of approval on this asset class, okay? Uh, by doing this, the SEC is tacitly communicating to the entire finance ecosystem that they can take, that they can advance in their crypto agendas. Uh, you, I imagine, you know, the audience either knows this well or at least has heard about this. Uh, most players out there in traditional finance are still largely, largely outside of crypto because of so much regulatory uncertainty. And with this progress on the SEC's front, uh, you know, not all of that goes away, Nate, but a, a good amount goes. 
and we think that this unleashes uh, a lot more work, a lot more innovation, a lot more acceptance. Uh, and you know, think about what's been done and said about crypto in the last few years, right? People, you know, important people out there have called crypto or Bitcoin, I can't recall now, rat poison or, you know, just an index of illegal activity. Uh, and the fact that a lot of these players are now entering the market, the fact that the SEC, which has not always been welcoming to the industry, is, is giving its stamp of approval to a major product, we believe will have, will have tremendous reverberations uh, throughout, you know, crypto's history. So we'll see a lot of activity going on if this really goes through, Nate, in the next few days and weeks, okay? Uh, but I think more importantly, uh, what will be what will be really decisive in in this impending uh, spot Bitcoin approval is all the 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 work that will be unlocked that will be unleashed in you know throughout traditional finance players and the crypto specific players such as hashtags because we will have a lot more clarity and freedom to operate. So look, also look forward to the, not just to the next few months, but to the next few years, I would say. Bruno, just a couple of minutes left here. I mentioned sure. at the uh, the top of the podcast that I feel like uh, lost in all of the hype around just bringing spot Bitcoin ETFs to market is the actual investment case around Bitcoin. And so I, I'd love to have you just very briefly discuss that. I know we could do a full podcast just on that topic but you know that's ultimately what matters here it's not bitcoin and an etf wrapper but it's why you own bitcoin in a portfolio period and so how do you see bitcoin and a bitcoin etf fitting within long-term investment portfolios why should investors even consider this you you're right Nate. i wish we had an entire episode just to talk about this well i'll try to summarize this you know for you and the audience now uh, I, I urge I urge everyone to you know think of Bitcoin as a technology first of all, and a technology that will evolve, and that societies will learn new things to do with this technology, right? And why I think this is important is because the investment case for Bitcoin and crypto in general, right? But even for Bitcoin, will evolve over time. You know, right now. Bitcoin is mainly seen as an emerging store of value asset, okay? And, and the investment case there is both on this, on this thesis uh, continuing to fulfill itself, uh, but it's also hinged on the growing importance of store of value assets in the current, uh, in the current moment we're living through, right? Uh, if you go back in time, like, you can see what's been happening to gold since after the great financial crisis, uh, when when I believe you know market participants realized that policymakers were a little less sure of what to do in terms of policymaking, and the importance of a store of value grew a lot, and gold has has grown in value tremendously since then. Uh, the outlook out there, both from you know an economic perspective, but also from a political geopolitical perspective is as uncertain as it has been for many decades now, arguably since the 
the the Second World War, and that's a moment in which store of value assets tend to gain importance. So in the short term, and by short here I mean the next few years, we think that these factors will be playing a, a big role. You know, do you want to take a stance on whether Bitcoin will really fulfill its potential as a store of value, and whether uh, our societies, countries out there, individuals and families will need more of this. In the longer term, Nate, I think people, you know, that's what we try to do at hashtags. You're also taking a stance on how promising this technology is. And the interesting thing about Bitcoin, when you think about it, like the, it's not a perfect analogy, but one of the best analogies is that it's a commodity, okay? Something that doesn't really depend on anyone, no one controls, but unlike oil, which we discovered uh, underneath the ground, we invented Bitcoin. We invent it, but we don't control it. And oil, when you think about oil, it's something that has, you know, the use of oil has evolved over time. And But we're always constrained to the physical, chemical properties of oil. In Bitcoin, we can actually feed our creativity into it. So our society can feed our creativity into it so that it solves new problems. And we think that this is a, a, as, as much part of the investment case as what we can currently see is. I hope this makes sense, Nathan. Maybe someday I can come back and we will, can do a full episode devoted exclusively to this. I think we will definitely have to. I've really enjoyed hearing your perspective. Uh, unfortunately, we are going to have to leave it there. I'm going to wish you uh, congratulations in advance on DeFi. Hopefully I don't jinx anything with this uh, SEC approval vote that looks like it may happen uh, tomorrow. But best of luck to you and the Hashtex team. Uh, you, you know I'll certainly continue to watch this race closely. So best of luck and thank you for joining me. You're welcome. Thanks for having me again, Nate. I look forward to connecting in the future. Bye-bye. That was Bruno Caratori, co-founder and COO at Hashdex. Is the crypto winter over? Are we entering a new crypto spring? Join experts and thought leaders in the asset management space to learn all about what's next for crypto at Vetify's Crypto Symposium on January 12th. Go to vetify.com to learn more and register for this free event. That's vetify.com, V-E-T-T-A-F-I.com. My last guest this week, certainly not least, is Moritz Pott, founder and CEO of Tema ETFs, who burst onto the ETF scene back in May of last year with a very unique platform built around active ETFs, primarily thematic ETFs at this point. They currently offer six ETFs in all, about $70 million in assets, and Moritz is now on the line with me from New York. Moritz, great to uh, reconnect, and thank you for joining me. Nate, thank you for having me on the show, and uh, look forward to our discussion today. 
Yeah, so look, I do think this is a really unique platform. Uh, you know, you came right out of the gate positioning the firm around active thematic ETFs. You call these institutional-grade products, and you already have several different portfolio managers on these ETFs. It really is a platform, as I'm sure we'll get into and this platform is now evolving into the core ETF space as well. But uh, first, give us some background just to set the table here. What was the problem you saw in the ETF marketplace, and uh, how are you attempting to solve for it? So listen, uh, you know, when I looked at the ETF marketplace, the two things or three things that I observed to me were, one, how passive the industry was, two, within general thematics, how passive most, if not all, thematic strategies were. Uh, and to some extent, the lack of, on the one hand, precision, second, diversification opportunities, but thirdly, risk management in the way ETFs were constructed and offered to investors. What we try and offer are exposures that do not exist in the market today, stretching from core equity to life sciences to general thematics. And those are the three key pillars of where we build our strategies, areas where we believe we can outperform through experience, that is, investment process, experienced PMs with 20, 30, 40-year track records, and focusing on big structural changes in the world today. Everything from reshoring to cancer, cardiovascular metabolic disease, including heart disease, obesity, diabetes, but then also more esoteric trends like luxury or royalties. And why the focus on active management? I, I know this is where all the growth is right now in the ETF space, and I, I think that will absolutely continue. I'm very bullish on active ETFs, so focusing on this area makes perfect sense from a business perspective. But I would say from an investor standpoint, look, we've all seen the data showing it can be very difficult for active managers to consistently generate outperformance. Uh, it, it's pretty tough to do. So, so why the focus on active, given that? So when we think about active, we think about active in, in areas of the market where there's high risk, there's a big dispersion of returns between companies, and areas where, frankly, we can concentrate on variables of risk that we can manage through active. So active gives us the flexibility to implement that risk management, to achieve that precision, to achieve that diversification for investors. So we are not trying to apply active to the general S&P 500. If you take the life sciences space, 80 to 90% of the returns come from 10 to 20% of the companies. An index solution has historically consistently disappointed in life sciences. That is an area where active plays a role. But if you even look at luxury, what people forget is that LVMH, Louis Vuitton, has been a phenomenal stock to own for the last 10, 20 years. But if you look at, say, Todd's or Ferragamo, these companies haven't made money in 20 years. So even in luxury, you see a big dispersion of returns. And then lastly, within the core, what we're disrupting is in moat investing. Wide moat was obviously pioneered by Van Eck and Morningstar. We believe that beyond wide moat, deeper moats are more interesting, more durable, higher barriers to entry, better profitability, so we are really trying to take a more thoughtful approach, and we use the flexibility of active in areas where we can really manage risk better and therefore deliver better solutions to investors at the core and at the periphery of their portfolio. All right. So if we look at your ETF lineup, the first three ETFs you launched were the Tema American Reshoring ETF, ticker RSHO. 
uh, the Tema Luxury ETF, ticker LUX, and then the Tema Monopolies and uh, Oligopolies ETF, ticker TOLL, T-O-L-L. Again, all active strategies, uh, all certainly unique themes here. Uh, do, do you want to offer a quick snapshot on any or all of these just at a high level? Yeah, sure. So the focusing just on, on monopolies and oligopolies, which is our one of our core offerings, focusing on deep modes, not wide modes. It focuses on dominant market leaders in industries, including railroads, stock exchanges, payment rails, healthcare monopolies. These are areas of the market where you have growth, you have dominant market share, you have deep modes defined by IP, technology, distribution. Ultimately, these are hard to disrupt businesses with tangible assets. We do not believe intangible assets play a big role in moats. That's debatable. We believe in tangible barriers to entry, tangible moats. We define that as deep moats. Reshoring is also part of core. That is focused just on U.S. equities, on the relocation of supply chains and jobs back to America. So reshoring and monopolies and oligopolies are our two core ETF offerings. Okay, and then the other three ETFs you launched are the Tema Oncology ETF, ticker C-A-N-C, the Tema Global Royalties ETF, ticker R-O-Y-A. Those launched uh, in August. And then in November, you launched the Tema Cardiovascular Metabolic ETF, ticker H-R-T-S, hearts, love the ticker symbol. Do you want to offer a quick snapshot on any of those? Sure. So uh, on our Oncology ETF and C-A-N-C and our uh, the cardiovascular ETF, HRTS. If you think about the three biggest challenges in healthcare today that affect half the world's population is cancer, a third of the popula- world's population is a combination of diabetes and obesity, and a quarter of the world's population is car- neurological disorders. Building the first focused suite on the most prominent, prevalent challenges in biotech, managed through experience, that's what we offer in life sciences. Royalties, together with luxury, are our two offerings in our thematic suite, our third pillar. Again, royalties focuses on commodity royalties, on technology royalties, healthcare royalties, uh, and music royalties. Royalties is an interesting space, essentially a form of alternative financing, focusing growing sectors where, again, you manage risk. You avoid downside risk, such as dilution, but you still capture upside risk or upside opportunity from the growth profile of the industry. And you alluded to this a, a little bit earlier, but just talk high level about the types of portfolio managers you're working with here. Yeah, so these portfolio managers, again, have, have, have 20 to 40 years of experience across top firms, Rockefeller, Baliasi, Millennium, TIA, Kraft, Goldman Sachs, Magity. And these, these portfolio managers really have experience in the industry domain, so we're taking industry specialists who can manage industry-specific portfolio or sector-specific portfolios at our firm, and they have a focus on risk management. They individually manage the portfolios overseen by the CIO and with a real focus on risk management. So bottom-up security selection and a systematic approach to how we construct the portfolios. This can also be called active systematic. So it's, a, it's an innovative approach to active. It's an approach focused on risk management and really trying to offer better solutions to investors. When we think about where active disappoints, has disappointed investors, it's been when people over-concentrate, when people are hyperactive, they trade too much, 
or frankly, when they are active in areas of the market where it's very hard to beat the index, or frankly, where they have very limited domain expertise. So we're very focused where we play, how we play, and we're very lucky with the talent that we have that can manage these strategies with us. March, just a few minutes uh, left here. I'd love to have you talk about how to incorporate these ETFs into a portfolio. And you, you noted earlier the American reshoring ETF and the monopolies and uh, oligopolies ETF. Those could certainly be viewed as uh, more core equity holdings. The other four, I think you could certainly classify in the thematic ETF space. Just talk about how you think investors and advisors should view these ETFs and, and consider them in the in the context of a broader portfolio. So when we think about our core offerings, we think these are innovative, active alternatives to existing passive ETFs. So we see advisors using Toll instead of Moat. We see advisors using RSHO instead of the Pave ETF. And the benefits of these ETFs, again, are the precision, the risk management, diversification, that also so far is outperformed their competitors in 23. And if you look at our thematic offering, what we're trying to focus on is different thematics, thematics where we can offer diversification opportunities and offer more thoughtful ways to access sectors where there's either no ETF or where there's no good ETF. So we did the first luxury ETF in the U.S., and within life sciences, we now have the broader suite of life sciences ETFs in the U.S. Life sciences historically has been a space which passive ETFs have really delivered, failed to deliver on, and we believe active is required to combine with expertise to generate better investment returns. So again, we are deliberately not trying to crowd, go after crowded spaces or after spaces which are hard, to, which are easy to index. We're going after areas where we see limited offerings, opportunities where indexation is limitations, but areas of the market which are large, long-term, and structurally growing, and ultimately resonant and relevant to everyday investors. Well, Moritz, excellent uh, perspective. Congratulations on everything you've built so far with the Tema ETF. Certainly wish you all of the success moving forward. Thank you for joining me this week. Thank you very much for your time, and uh, I look forward to staying in touch, and uh, thank you for, uh, for hosting me today. That was Moritz Pott, founder and CEO of Tema ETFs. That'll do it for this week's ETF Prime. Be sure to join me at Exchange, which is a financial services conference where advisors can collaborate with top industry-leading experts, strengthen their skills, and develop across core dimensions of their professional portfolio. Register now for the Exchange Conference at the Fontainebleau in Miami Beach, Florida by visiting exchangeetf.com. Next week, I'll be joined by Matt Kaufman, head of ETFs at Calamos. He'll discuss their expanding ETF presence. And I'll also be joined by Matt Hogan to discuss spot Bitcoin ETFs. He's with Bitwise. Until then, have a great week, everyone.